Can't believe that you haven't seen it. Love it so much you really gotta stream it. Let me tell you every line right now. I can quote the whole thing since I was 12. Maybe your mom told you no. She said she wouldn't give you to another episode of Movies We Missed. I am your host, Brandon Greenhouse, and I've got my lovely co-host, Jane Piper Hammer, and um, we got a special guest in the house today. Let's just say, how do we live without the Grammy Award winning Miss Leanne <laughs> Rhymes? Yeah, Hi, we've y'all. been upgraded. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, she's not here, and we're not going to pull her No, she it. actually won't return our calls. <laughs> Can't blame her. It's mostly just, how did you get my number? She, Leanne Rhymes isn't here today, but I do have... It's Jane, per usual. Um, and if you are, you know, curious about ways to, you know, keep in the loop and what's going on here, lots of moving and shaking on our end. Uh, lots of deals happening, lots of mergers and talks like that. Mm-hmm. Jane was on the phone earlier with one uh, Mr. Vin Diesel's lawyer. Always. That okay. cease and desist um, mm-hmm. is still firmly in place. Um, but you know what? <laughs> Forget about all that. If you want to keep tabs on us and what's going on in a legal way, not the way that Jane tries to keep a hold of what's going on with the uh, FNF uh, franchise, then you can follow mm-hmm. us at mm-hmm. Movies We Miss on Instagram and Facebook, or you can find us twitting away over on Twitter at MWM Chat. Hey, 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 Jane. Hi, how are you? you? I'm great. I'm great. What in the scrunchies going on? It looks like you got your hands on something I, from the from the nineties. At least a Frank Care package. I say. Well, it, I am wearing a scrunchie in my hair. I um, this is not the first time I've worn a scrunchie in the last five years. So and it won't be the last. <laughs> no, it won't be the last. So it's it's it's. But it's nice that you're noticing it today. Um, great. Well, you know, it's, yeah. it's doing the trick now. Um, so yeah, uh, how, how's your week been going? Good. I thought about you yesterday and I purposely didn't tell you any of this yesterday because I was like, this is probably something you're going to want to roast me for on the pod. Oh, um, yeah. But (laughs) yesterday was tax day, as you as some of you may know, although this will air much later. um, Hopefully you guys are good and ready to go at this point, because I'll tell you what, that really snuck up on me yesterday when I woke up and I got a Google Calendar alert. Um, Only you. Was it a Google (laughs) Calendar alert that you set or was it just the one that Apple provides? It's like it's like from Google, like Google's like, hey, girl, (laughs) we know. We know what kind of ship you're running around here, and it is not a tight one. At least make sure you're doing your taxes. Has Tara done done her taxes? (laughs) Yeah. So she, but like, so yesterday, uh, first of all, like my life was a disaster yesterday. I had so much to do. And then on top of that, I had to do my taxes at some point, but I couldn't find all the paperwork. And I remembered I had like some forms. I I did some um, freelance work in 2021, and I needed to make sure that I had that paperwork work for it and I was like because my mind doesn't work properly I don't like think like 
oh, I received this in the mail. I will put this in a place where I re- where I keep like important papers. I just have like a bunch of different places where I keep important papers. And I think, okay, remember that this important piece of paper is here. And that doesn't work. As you can, as you know from being my friend, it never works. And so I spent the majority of yesterday like tearing around my house trying to find that one piece of paper. Um, and so I did find it eventually. But um, so I did my taxes. <laughs> if you're listening, IRS or anybody associated with a government agency, mm-hmm. um, I'm in the clear, and you can't hold me accountable for anything anymore because I did it. No, good for you. Good for you. Thank That's you. A, that was a happy ending of that story. When did Tara do do her taxes? She did her taxes yesterday too, but she had oh. all the paperwork. <laughs> oh my god, that life! I can't even. I can't imagine waiting that long because the thing about me is I start having anxiety about my taxes when March hits. I start thinking like, well, that's reasonable. I get those like email reminders. I'm like, I gotta do that. I gotta do that. So like, mm-hmm. usually beginning of March is when I'm like, if I didn't do them in February, then I'm like, it's time to knuckle down and get it done. And oh, just oh my god, I my taxes aren't complicated though. Mine like, aren't I either. Don't, but yeah. I've also had times where even like a tiny little snafu happens, and it takes like a week or two of like trying to correct things. Like I've had those years with TurboTax where it's just like. Mm. Something with their system is the problem, not me. Well, but it, like, our American tax system is very fucked up in general, and TurboTax is a big problem too. Yeah. So was this uh, an act of? Are you saying this was an act of rebellion <laughs> on your part, waiting to last? No, I th- against the American I think, tax system. No, I think since I've turned eighteen, I have never done my taxes like before the due date, like. <laughs> I just do them like on the day that they're due. Well, you got it done. So, I mean, that's I all got that matters. Done. And they that's, have, they have, and they have and truthfully, it's sort of a metaphor for how I live my life where it's like the due date really just, um, you know, sneaks up on me and then there's pure panic. Um, but you know what? That's, um, you did it. that's all that matters. <laughs> uh, she always gets it done. So, and I just thought, I, while I was living through that yesterday, I was like, Brandon would never do this. He would never do this. I, I can't just because of the way my, you know, my worry, my worry is set up. Um, I need I to always, worry more. I, I need to be more worried. I just, it's really honestly because I have had issues before with things not going right, and it's taken me like an extra week to get my taxes done. So like because of something on the TurboTax end, so that's a part of why is because doing it electronically just in case. Like I need like a little bit of a cushion, preferably a month or more. So oh my God, um, that's crazy. Nothing's ever really gone wrong for me. So knock on wood. I'm gonna get yeah, like, fucking audited insane. this year. Yeah, the way I do it is the, is the one that's weird. Um, so, Janie, you know, I hung yeah. out with you this weekend. We we, we, we watched, um, we finished a Netflix show um, that uh, was worthless. Honestly, it was a useless show. And oh my god, nothing about the world. It's called I forgot. Um, the ultimatum and, which is really that's that's great it's a relationship show and when you're using the word like ultimatum in terms of a relationship that's always like you know you're in a good place when you're issuing an ultimatum to your lover I, I and that's think. how you and that's how you want somebody to propose to you after exactly I want to force head. force someone to either leave me or begrudgingly marry me that is how I want to enter into my nuptials yeah, so I mean that's really that's really a show that sort of exemplifies 
um, that that the shit or get off the pot philosophy in terms of engagement. Yeah. And, you know, also, everyone on the show. So that's the premise of the show. Just so you guys know, if you haven't seen it, it's basically people bringing their partners onto this show. And it's like a group of partnered people. And they're like, I want to get married. And if you don't propose to me by the time this show is over, then we break up. But there is the possibility that like they meet someone else on the show because they have to live with another person for the first three weeks and then go back and live with their partner for the next three weeks. And then at the end, they make a decision about what they want to do. And it is, first of all, like, who thought of this? It's such a bad idea. It doesn't serve a single person in this scenario. Not to mention that every cast member is between the age of, like, 23 and 28. And it's like, why are you fucking like frothing at the mouth to get married i don't understand although it's, they said it in the south smartly even though they said it in austin so you think it's like metropolitan moment but i mean still or like progressive so, yeah it it's so, not it is I and mean, austin is a progressive place for sure yes like where it's located i'm sure most of these people aren't from austin they're probably mostly from small towns adjacent to austin so it's like they bring a lot of that value system with them so i mean and i'm not saying only people in the south you know are itching to get married but i am saying that i'm from the south and a lot of them are and i remember those people that i went to school with who um who saved their virginity from marriage and they got married at 18 so it is what it is <laughs> Um, and then you're stuck married to a wrong person who's bad in bed because you couldn't like take a taste beforehand and by stuck married you mean just married until you're like 28 and then you know divorced and married to somebody else because (laughs) yeah oh my god you're approaching an appropriate age to make decisions like that um but yeah (laughs) it's it's like so wild it is yeah and it's and you're banking also when you pick people that young you're banking on the fact as well that like they don't have enough lived experience to like when you're dealing with older people in general, you're gonna have to be you're gonna have to be dealing with like the the those people are in oft oftentimes though not always a little bit more uh, a little bit more streetwise, and so they're mm. gonna look out for some of like you know the pitfalls um, and the messiness that's coming down the line. And a lot of them have had like a, multiple adult relationships, and they can be like, right. oh, I'm not." we're not doing this. Um, and you really don't want that. You want wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and you want people who have this <laughs> idyllic sort of like perspective on what marriage is going to be. So it's like... And yeah, people who are some... still drinking like a college student so you can get the messiest things on camera. Oh, which for sure. they did. <laughs> for sure. And also, there was nothing but silver goblets to be drunk. Uh, to be oh my God. Of. Why? Everywhere they went, whether they were at a quote-unquote restaurant with like what I'm assuming is just extras and like some weird pop-up that Netflix has put together to make it look like a restaurant. But like whether they're at like a local <laughs> honky tonk or a restaurant or, or the quote unquote apartments that they lived in. That they forced and them to live Everything like, was in a silver goblet. It was very strange. Show, goblets are bust. And I noticed that in one of the quote unquote restaurants, everybody else in the restaurant who wasn't at their table were they were all drinking out of glasses. So yeah, they had regular cups. That yeah. like, it's just it's just the the stars of the show. The, the and I want to know what that means. I haven't Googled it, but I'm sure I'm sure we're not the only people who have noticed that. And I'm sure there's like write ups about it. The, you the know. best part of the ultimatum was when people who come into this whole thing and they think they're going to be a hot ticket so when they start splitting them up and have them sort of meeting with the other people um the other couples that are there so they can determine who they're going to sort of switch out their partner for for three weeks like the people that thought they were going to be hot ticket items who then quickly realize that like they're not exactly being um <laughs> pursued 
uh, in the moment as, as the picking is happening. It's a picking ceremony that is akin to, you know, when they make all the kids line up for dodgeball and the two like I... biggest kids get to pick who they want on their teams. It's very that, um, except your life. And so right. it's like those and it's moments like where people... way more offensive because it's like, oh, I didn't think you had a good personality and I'm not physically attracted to you. Oh, for <laughs> Which sure. Which is harder to hear than you don't have like athletic prowess. I can handle that. I can't handle the Well, other you can thing. handle it at you can handle it at 40, but you can necessarily handle it at like six. No, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> okay. Well, we watched a movie this week and it was called Coyote Ugly. And it had one of the most iconic soundtracks of all time. It did. I only know I only know the songs that Leanne's featured on. Me too. I truly I don't know. But I remember like being really obsessed with the soundtrack. I myself didn't actually buy it, but I remember my friend Allie bought it and I she would listen to it. Like she would she always had it and I was always with her, so I heard it all the time, but I never bought it myself, but I loved I, it. I mean, I did read there were, you know, six or seven rewrites to the script before it no. went to It felt so solid and cohesive. <laughs> <laughs> should we should i do my synopsis so we can get going on it get, let's get into the gig mama violet sanford is all of us she's just a small town girl with model good looks from south amboy new jersey working in a pizza joint slinging slices dreaming about becoming leanne rhymes exclusive songwriter but how can she ever make her dream a reality when she's almost one full hour away from the biggest city in the world that's literally famous for making stars out of anyone? That's it. Violet is moving to the Big Apple and leaving her almost comically incompetent single father and best friend Gloria behind. Even though the trip from South Amboy to NYC is shorter than my work commute, it's a whole other world. Once there, Violet starts making waves in the music scene, early aught style, meaning she's walking into the ground floor of record companies and dropping off cassette tapes with receptionists. Weirdly, this isn't as successful as she hoped, so she decides to go check out the local music scene and get a vibe for what's going on at an open mic night. There she meets Kevin, a charming, inexplicably Australian pretty boy, whom she thinks is an important person in the music scene, but ends up just being a regular stud from the streets of Sydney, aka he's also poor. He has several random jobs, which brightens a bulb in Violet's noggin. If she's gonna live here, she's gotta work too. She finds herself at a job interview in the basement of a bar called Coyote Ugly. She interviews with the toughest nails owner, Lil. After a bit of a rough start, Vi ends up landing herself a full-time job bartending. But this isn't just a regular bar. <laughs> no siree, this is a rough and tumble saloon where the only drinks served come in shot glasses or a beer bottle, and God forbid you ask for a refreshing hit of H2O. No, 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 no. In Coyote Ugly, only bitches are plagued by thirst. If you want water, you're going to have to drink your own piss or whatever. At CU, they drink surprisingly light Miller Genuine Draft, product placement, while watching the girlies dance on the bar and shake their googlies in your face while these red-blooded American men hoot and holler as they were born to do. 
They're absolutely fired up for Violet's karaoke renditions of Blondie songs. So much so that if anyone steps out of line, we'll start a fight no matter what, because we are men who love our Jack Daniels with a side of tits. Violet becomes focused on her work at Coyote Ugly, as important as it is, and she becomes more and more involved with her dashing Australian piece, Kevin. But this means the only impact she's making in the music industry is singing mediocre karaoke while avoiding the wandering, groping hands of men at the bar. Kevin thinks it's time for Violet to take center stage and forget just being a songwriter. She's got to perform the songs herself. There's only one problem. Violet's debilitating stage fright. Will Kevin be able to help her face her fears and become the star he knows she can be? Or will the Coyote Ugly lifestyle swallow our heroine whole before she's able to make the splash on the scene that she's always craved? If you're willing to sit through an idealized version of what it's like to be poor in New York City and finally achieve your goals after less than a calendar year of trying, then you'll likely find out in Coyote Ugly. Ooh. That's getting pulpy. So yeah. that gives us an idea of the world that we're all going to be living and loving and laughing in. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, for those of you who have not seen the movie, I don't know if I can properly, like, I don't know, like, explain how big of a deal this movie was. Like, I know you didn't see it, Brandon. I'm so, I'm really wondering how you did miss it because I remember the anticipation of this movie coming out. It was like all over magazines and it wasn't even like super famous people. I mean, the the names there were Tyra Banks and like Maria Bello, I guess, and John Goodman, but although he's not a huge part of the movie, but I just remember this, like I mean, the lead up to Banks. this. Well, Tyra Banks was huge, though. No, I'm Don't just saying think... she wasn't a huge part of the movie. Oh, oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. She was but not they, a huge no, part of the movie. But they shoved her right in the front. Yeah. But they shoved her right in front because she's really the only star. But I, I remember it was like just the anticipation. Also, the soundtrack, Leanne Rimes' involvement. Like, it was so huge. I mean, this movie came out, I would have been turning or just about to turn uh, 14, I believe, yeah. at the time of this movie coming out. So, I mean, at that point, I was, I was a heartbreaker. So, yeah, this came out, <laughs> oh, I just turned 14, okay. So, no, I don't know what was going on, but I somehow, I missed it. I remember it coming out, and it looked like a stupid movie to me. And all I remember is that line from the, tra- from the trailer, why do you call it Cody Ugly? Because Cheers was taken. I was like, sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I remember it coming out. I remember Can't Fight the Moonlight. I remember that being a huge hit. But mm-hmm. the movie itself, I, I didn't really know anything about. I knew it was Piper Perabo, um, which is funny that I knew her name because I couldn't have picked her out of a lineup. And when the movie well, started, I thought, oh, that's Piper Perabo because I knew what her name was. But I just like, didn't so funny. know what she looked like somehow. I think this is the first time I've seen her in something. I Well, I knew who Piper Perabo was before I saw this movie because she was in a movie which I know my queer girlies will know exactly what I'm talking about. Imagine me and you. No, although she is in that one. But she was in a movie. Oh, you know what? 
Interesting. I'm just looking. Uh, she's in a movie called Lost and Delirious, which was oh. a, a a movie about like queer girls at a boarding school, which oh. was pretty significant to me growing up. But I'm realizing yeah, that came sense. out in 2001, and Coyote Ugly came out in 2000. In my brain, I thought Lost and Delirious was first, but I guess you know, <laughs> memory is the enemy of the truth. <laughs> and she's and she was playing like a boarding school girl in this other yeah, movie in she, 2001. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like a high school boarding. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember a ton about the movie, but I remember there were two girls who were like dating and but secretly, obviously. And there was like a hawk involved, like it, like a the bird. Ethan? Oh, OK. No. <laughs> but I remember I really liked it. Yeah, I think it was just because it was like the only queer thing, you know, available in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> But no, this movie was, um, it was a hoot. It was full of... The thing I will say about this movie is that, like, you don't get to know anyone in the film. No, it's so You don't get to know anybody in this film. At the end of the film, you realize that you know nothing about anyone, and (laughs) including, like, the lead. Including the lead and, like, the main love interest. Like, you have no idea who he is. No, and it's really interesting because... So I was reading up on this because I had said to Dave, it was like, I feel like, I was like, is Coyote Ugly like a thing that I should know about? And he was like, oh, like Coyote Ugly is like based on, um, he's like, no, the the bars came after the movie. And I was like, really? But no, that's not true. The first Coyote Ugly opened in 1993. And this film was actually, the Bruckheimer bought the rights to this because Elizabeth Gilbert, who of Eat, Pray, Love fame, mm-hmm. famous author who had who worked at Coyote Ugly, wrote a piece for GQ called The Muse of the Coyote Ugly Saloon about mm-hmm. her time working at Coyote Ugly. And I read it. I read it, the piece. Which was really I did too. Yeah. The piece was, yeah, I actually found the piece to be more interesting than the actual movie. And I thought, like, this would have been a more interesting take on... Because, I mean, the the sort of, like, the foundational pieces of Coyote Ugly as this sort of irreverent establishment that sort of, like, eschews, like, notions of what it means to be a bar in a place like New York. And mm-hmm. so it's, like, you know, a big premise of the movie is this idea of, like, you know, we don't serve those hoity-toity drinks. You know, if you come in here and, you know, you ask for a sex on the beach, you're going to get Jack Daniels poured down your gullet. Like, mm-hmm. that's very much the fantasy that they're selling. And, but in the in the article, Gilbert talks a lot about sort of, like, the unique... Um, sea of patrons that they have and mm-hmm. sort of like this revolving door kind of like cast of characters and I thought how interesting would this have been to see the different types of relationships that were negotiated within this establishment and the ways that those characters interact with each other and the way that those characters interact with um, the the barkeep and the owner that felt like just focusing on Cody Ugly as this sort of like microcosm I think would have maybe proved a bit more um, beneficial in terms of like script and character development, because I feel like sort of trying the the parts where the movie suffered the most, I think, was in trying to cover a lot and then ultimately covering nothing. I mean, we get like I totally agree. Right? 
Yeah, I mean, because I, I read the article too, and I came to the exact same conclusions. I had the exact same thought as you when I was reading it earlier this afternoon, and I was like, this article is so much more interesting than what goes on in this movie. And it is not about what the bar is, it's about who exists within this like universe of the bar, and it's the characters. And this actually could have been a really interesting character driven movie. But what it is, is like you, it, the movie itself focus, focuses 0% on anybody who actually attends the bar. Instead, all of the patrons of the bar are sort of just this like, you know, amalgamation of like gross, toxic men who like touch people without consent all the time, start fights all the time, won't drink anything but Jack Daniels and beer and like... You know, just our the the caricature of what it means to be a manly man. You know, and it instead focuses on Violet's character and her wish to be this songwriter, which I think is just like not that interesting of a story. <laughs> I think it could have been a lot. I think there was a way to sort of like place like Coyote Ugly as a bar, um, thinking about Coyote Ugly as like encompassing like this sort of like American tradition this mm-hmm. centuries old american tradition of like the bar as like this this safe haven for like people to come and like convene and like the unique ways in which um people sort of like parse out like aspects of like their life stories and like right. what happens with that when those humanities sort of like come together and are explored side by side and like what that and what what these things collectively come together to make within this like space almost like thinking about it as its own sort of like entity and like and like its own sort of like um its own, I mean, its own sort of like culture. Like, I, I feel mm-hmm. like there was something really like interesting in that. I think it would have made for a more like soulful and like thought provoking film overall. And of course, I feel like it was like a missed opportunity. And I get why, and I get like the reasons why. But I feel like when you read the article, it, there's this romanticization that's happening, but there's also like this kindness that's offered to like all of these people who exist mm-hmm. within this world. And I think it's really interesting that like they didn't go that route and that they decided to just focus on one person who really they didn't have enough of a story, I think, in her to like bolster an entire film. And I think that's where it like sort of falls flat. And it's like it's that tale as old as time sort of like, you know, girl who moves from the small town. But then it also was like she just it's giving burlesque. It's yeah, it's giving burlesque. Like that's all I could think about, too, because having seen burlesque you know after the fact but not watching Coyote Ugly in so long being like okay this is a story that we're all from it's giving showgirls it's giving all of those like what makes yeah and like that's the thing it's like this article written by Elizabeth Gilbert who is a very talented and interesting writer like obviously it's so much more like she should have been part of writing this script or something like that I don't know the the big boys would have hated that well, and then also it's like, it's that classic, you know, just um, watering down of a true story that Hollywood does all the time to make it palatable and to make it the most, you know, to make it the most money possible. And like, I think I, I, I didn't read a ton of reviews, but from what I did get, like, it was like universally panned. Like nobody liked this movie, <laughs> which like yeah. makes sense. <laughs> no, it is like it is. 
yeah, it is just like it's like a, a wasted opportunity, which I think came came became clear when reading the article because it was that's like, a thing. Like I thought this movie was funny because it's so bad, but like it actually made me a little sad for like I mean Elizabeth Gilbert is fine; she's just counting dollar after dollar. But you know, like someone who writes something kind of you know that had an impact on people, and then they try to turn it to something else, and it just becomes a totally divorced from what it originally was. That made me a little bit sad about that yeah it was uh yeah it was uh quite a few uh misses in this film i mean also i i loved when i read that like literally it was just like john goodman took the role from money he said i I literally said that to tara when watching i was like there's no way he liked this script he is doing this for the money and then i read read it when i was looking it up (laughs) and i was like good for you for admitting that So, yeah, so, I mean, the movie itself, it starts off in, like, this really, like, weird way, too. Because the thing about her as a character also is it's, like, it's unclear what her dream is specifically for a lot of Mm -hmm. the movie. So I found myself trying to, like, grapple with, like, what she was after. Because at times it seemed like her goal was that she wanted to be, like, this incredible, like, she wanted to be this incredible, like, songwriter. But then at times it was, like, or does she want to be a performer? Does she feel like she has to perform these songs? in order to get them out to the world because it was just unclear to me which thing was the dream um and i get that you can have multiple dreams but it was something that like you know when we approach the end of the movie and we see that one of her songs the song that she sung multiple times in this movie is being performed by leanne rhymes you're like oh okay this was the journey this was a she really wanted to be a songwriter but she was too afraid to perform her own songs which I think is interesting. Also, I read that about like John Goodman and like that totally made sense because this is like a nothing character as well. Yeah. But also like a very frustrating character because it's like this whole movie my in my search of getting to know, trying to get to know who these people are and it's like I want you to move to it's like how, it, like there's like this scene towards the end of the movie where like John Goodman, he, like, doesn't want her to go to New York, even though she lives in Jersey. At one point, she says 45 minutes away from New York. And no, it's then, like, 40. It's Yeah, it's it's about 45. It's 42 miles away from Manhattan. It's like, you could do that in your fucking sleep. Like, calm down. Like, Yeah, we're acting like... And it's like, you could have put her anywhere if you wanted this moment. But it's like... Right. Like, they should have put her in, like, rural, like, South yes. Carolina or yes. something to, like, make me believe that he would be this invested in her not going. Yeah, he really didn't want her to go, and then also he basically, he's like, yeah, I don't want you to end up like your mom. Um, and it's like, oh, I guess not a good life. Um, he's like, I don't want you to end up sacked, sacked to some loser. Well, it's unclear also what happened to her mom. Like, her mom died five years ago, I guess, but like, and then we find out that her mom also tried to be a songwriter, but then like gave up gave it up and she thought it was stage fright she had always told her daughter i gave up because i had such bad stage fright but it was really the fact that like her dad didn't want her to like john goodman didn't want his wife to be a songwriter but in New York also, City. it's like but also it's like can we give her dad a profession that like supports anybody because it's like (laughs) the thing is is it's like he shows up in new york unexpectedly towards the end of the movie and he sees her dancing on this bar and having like pictures of beer poured all over her all the women on the bar are dancing and like they're you know it's bacchanal it's like this really like Mm -hmm. you know like ritualistic moment you know of hedonism where like these women are on the bar and they're all dousing each other in beer and her dad sees her and he's appalled and leaves and it's like do you have money for me to pay rent Exactly. One, like, like the judgment I never, is I never wild. heard you open I never heard you open that wallet up. 
Um, <laughs> and it seems like you're like barely taking care of yourself. And at one point when she's leaving, she says, just leave the laundry and I'll do it when I come visit. And it's like, no, nobody's going to offer to do that for their like, able-bodied parent. I hate this trope of like the totally in and they do this in Twilight too where it's like the totally incompetent single dad who like can't do anything for himself it's like let oh I have to make you your meals and you're gonna eat like shit unless I make you eat the way that like I think you should eat which is weird anyways and like don't do the laundry because you're just such a bumbling fucking idiot you can't figure out how to work a washing machine and it's like don't why are you doing this for your father like he is a grown-ass man and he is able-bodied he can do his own damn laundry and you don't need to like give up on your life or your dreams to like wash your dad's underwear and also it's like i get that you didn't love i guess seeing your daughter being doused in like pitchers of beer while writhing on a table like fair enough i get your point but also like let's just like calm down a little bit because it's like she's got to make ends meet which is what she tells him so it's like let's get real like i'm making more money here than i'd be making like slinging you know drinks uh, you know at another establishment so like just be grateful that i've got a job and i still got this top on dad Right, exactly. It's like the thing, the judgment is so insane for him, too. And it's like, nobody's taking their top off. You're fully clothed. All you're really doing is dancing on a bar, which, like, we've all gotten drunk enough to do at some point, you know? And you have. Of course. And you have, too. No, and I've I'm seen not. it. Yeah, nope. I've seen it. Um, no. <laughs> and also, like, I, I, first of all, I mean, just as a side note, working at Coyote Ugly is my like the the least I would be least suited for that job of out of any job in the world. I well, think you fall off that bar and break your arm, probably. <laughs> I I would fall off the bar instantly and break every bone in my body, but I'd still want the money, so I'd be showing up in a full body cast and be like, "Hell no, H two O." Yeah, and Lil would be like, "You got the hell no part, right, sis?" <laughs> Let's get you out of here. Um, no, it was just also like, Lil was such a caricature too, because she oh, was absolutely. like, she had no personality besides just being like a bitch. I'm tough, and I run the bar. Yeah, you exactly. Work here, I've got some stupid rules I got to tell you about. It's just like sure, girl, that you'll enforce when you want to, and when you don't, they disappear. It's exactly. Also like, towards the end of the movie, like, because one of Lil's big rules is well, one, well, two rules: don't date any of the customers. And although Lid, Lil does this thing where she gives you rules in this way that makes it seem like this is like the ultimate list of rules, but then she provides you with another ultimate rule, like five so many ten. rules. There's um, way more than two, and she so constantly she'll be like, is only two rules. rules. Like, don't date the customers, and don't let your and don't ever have your boyfriend come in here and then later on she'll be like don't let me catch you in sketchers and it's like wait what this list is getting longer and the thing and she also like gets mad at violet at one point for spraying water on somebody yeah, it's it like makes you no- just trained me to do this like, they like- literally throw her behind the bar and then it's insanity and bridget moynihan's running the show i and, know like but don't worry no personality she's just like ornery that's all we learned about her she's got um, no personality but she is into sabotaging violet for some reason for some weird reason but that's not even a storyline that gives at all because we don't even get like a heartfelt <laughs> conversation between them which would have t- i could have written that scene for these fools during like a lunch break like i know and it, it would have taken four minutes to just get the give to, her oh, some sort of justification 
suffocation. Have, yeah. To literally have a shot of them, like, of maybe, like, them on the back of the dock after, like, you know, she's had, like, a, they've had a hard day in, Mor- in Moynihan's smoking a cigarette and, like, you know, l- you know, she comes over and she says something like, I was new like you. I was never, I was, I, I was new like you once, but never that fucking green. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that fucking green. I almost started calling you Jolly. I almost started calling you the Jolly Giant. You know, hey. something like that. Like, oh, it's not the best, but I'm just saying. I could have doled something out real quick. Um, you know, and then or her being like, yeah, and you screwed me over with that, and she was like, yeah, girl, it's yeah, girl. I only do that for the ones I like. Yeah, you're lucky I like you. Yeah, you're lucky I like you. I only sabotage the ones I, I only do that for the ones I like. The shitty <laughs> ones, the shitty ones don't need my help sabotaging themselves. Boom. And, and that we've learned a lesson that she there's some indefinable quality about Violet that makes her a good bartender at Coyote Ugly that is never really explained by anybody. And nobody and nobody ever <laughs> trains her in anything. And so it's like no. she's thrown behind the bar, and then it's like everything that anyone asks her for, she's either got Moynihan or Bello on one side of her screaming at her like no. And it's like all perfectly like reasonable requests. <laughs> Like, somebody asks her for water, and she starts to pour it, and they're like, oh, get a load of this girl. Pour an H2O into a glass. And it's like, yeah, he seems to be choking. It's like, no, 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 no. Last time I checked, PBR will take care of that. Like, That's going to be, like, a legal issue at this point. Like, you can't not give water at a bar. <laughs> exactly. They're not giving water. Somebody asked for, like, a sex on the beach, and, like, she's like, oh, try your mother for that. And then she, like, grabs his <laughs> head and, like, pours Everclear down his throat, and he's like, no. There's a woman who comes to the bar, and she's like, I'm actually a recovering alcoholic. So, like, if you could show some grace to me and, like, maybe yeah, I love offer to me, like, a nice time fresca. with my friends. <laughs> and she's like, oh, sounds like a problem for tomorrow. Call your sponsor, <laughs> and then they like <laughs> shove like a bottle of Cuervo down her gullet. It's like they're not here to follow. And, she, and like kicks off like a six month bender where she loses oh, right? her job, her house, her family, everything, and she's like, and "Well, she, and she <laughs> there shows was nothing I could do." <laughs> and Lil's like, "Take your problem somewhere else. We're not therapists." It's like you're not, but you're more definitely more than enablers, and you've done you're doing dangerous stuff here. You've got yeah. me back. You got me off that wagon so fast, girl. Um, but it's also the bar is like the amount of patrons in this bar. It's untenable. It is so many people. It's my nightmare. It, it's my it's, nightmare. It's, it's, well, it's a horrifying. And it's like there's no way to actually. There's so little money taken in this bar. And there's I so know. much free alcohol doled out. And also the bartenders waste so much alcohol pouring shots. Like they literally put a bunch of shot glasses next to each other. And 70% of the alcohol just ends up on the counter. And I Does thought to myself. Does it make it? There is no way that Lil would like not step in and be like, look, we're all here for like fun and a little bit of frivolity, but y'all are wasting product. (laughs) And like at one point, Bridget Moynihan like pours alcohol in her mouth and spits it out and lights it on fire. Like, like she does that repeatedly. And it's like, this is a, a fire hazard, B, a waste of alcohol and C, dangerous because there are too many people in this bar someone's head is gonna catch on fire we're gonna get that michael jackson moment oh my god the Um, pepsi commercial it's very you were on the set that day actually i was on the set that day i um oh god i've actually been waiting about 40 years to tell this story um which is older than i am so no it's not uh yes (laughs) but yeah i was on the set that day do you have any questions about how it went down what what happened exactly? What was your job, and did you have any role in what took place? 
So actually, I kind of, <laughs> oh, I didn't expect to get here so quickly when we started talking about this, but I... Um, that was my goal, actually. I was the fire marshal on set. Oh! You were still working as a fire marshal back then. Mm. Mm-hmm. I knew you were a flamer, but I didn't know <laughs> that that was sort of the lineage. So that's interesting for me to hear. There, I remember there being a rumor about um, an inept uh, fire marshal who had asked, actually sprayed a little bit extra jerry curl juice on Michael's head right before he went up there to well, do the shot I, with the sparks. I... Uh, okay, so I uh, again, this is really embarrassing, but when I'm on set, mm-hmm. I am like I, I like to be helpful. I'm I like to be like wherever I can tap in, I want to tap in. Wherever I can, you know, lend a hand, I want to lend a hand. And mm-hmm. part of that is sharing my opinion. And I went to the hairstylist that day, and I said, I know that this isn't my place, um, and. <laughs> that was the name of your biography also, wasn't it? I know this isn't my place. Yeah. And yeah, then just yeah. hot takes from Hammer. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. It's actually been um is subject of a book book burning and um the pr- the press of the book has been canceled several times. But you won a Newbery award for that. Well, I uh, I put the symbol on the book. Oh. Which is actually illegal if you didn't win the award. Okay. Um, but I didn't know that. I was just like, how can we get more buzz going? How can how can we put more gravitas on this book? But that's another story. I was on set with Michael Jackson. And I said to his hairstylist, I've never seen a jerry curl that looked so dry. What are you going to do about it? And then oh. it sort of, sort of just snowballed from there. And then you ended up grabbing the Jericho juice. Remember, you said it needs to be juicier, I think was the quote that they used in a couple of the rags. So you've seen the behind the music about this then? Yeah, and I've seen you in the background doing the peekaboo behind the behind the <laughs> stage. and uh, So it seems like if it wasn't for the fire happening, you would have probably just from an optic standpoint, you would have ruined the, the whole thing anyway. Just well, being I, in the wrong place at the wrong time. The problem was is that I stretched myself very thin in that moment. And I was supposed to be worrying about fire safety and I was worried about Michael's hair. And <laughs> Yeah, that's Nar- a problem. Yeah, and I think I, in, in my mind, I was like, oh, nary the two shall meet. But they met in a very, um, let's say, uh, <laughs> uh, chaotic way that day. Those, those and then people. I think the, the last part of the story that's most interesting to me was that you were so concerned what was going on with Michael's hair that when it actually did mm. catch on fire, you were over at craft services taking a little bit of a break. So that's a part of why the burn was as bad as it I, was. Well, and I and the, to my credit, which I don't think anybody will give me, no. um, I have been working at least, you know, two to three hour days at that point. I was exhausted. Oh my I was God. Exhausted. That was when you were doing those nine to noons? <laughs> those th- and you know that kills me. You know that I kills know. me. Well, it I kills got, some uh, people. I mean, <laughs> some people have died as a result. Of well, that. Michael did not die because of that, and I—that's been on the record for years. And but then, right after that, you were conveniently sort of ushered away from uh, the fire department. I was. You were reassigned doing a lot of desk work. I think after I that. was not really able to be an active member of the force on the, the or the fire department for many years after that so I did switch careers and that's sort of how I ended up where I am right now and that's okay because I life is long and there are journeys 
and there are paths that are different from the one that you set, the one that Michael set, the one that the chief of the fire department set. They're, my path doesn't look like your path. You know what I mean? For sure, for sure, for sure. That all makes sense. And, and so, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Your Blue Lives Matter poster is falling down behind you. <laughs> Anyways. So, on that note, yeah, there's a lot going on at this bar. They're throwing alcohol on these counters. Dave, defending the people who made this movie, of course, he's always mm-hmm. defending anybody who's mm-hmm. like me. I don't want to be married to him anymore. He made a comment about, um, I said, this is so impractical, them pouring this alcohol over these counters and just lighting it on fire. And he was like, mm-hmm. actually, it's not. If the counters are epoxied or whatever, then this alcohol is going to burn off really quickly. And then reading in that article, they said that that is actually something that they used to do when the patrons would get too close to the bartenders ah, they would actually so it's a tool. they would actually light the bar on fire to create distance which also another example of something that it would have been interesting to see in the movie this is like a means for like renegotiating like boundaries between like these bartenders and these customers and this being sort of like a way in which they asserted um their individuality Dominance. and like yeah. yeah and they like sought autonomy like i think that that would have been a really interesting so much more interesting than like them just being like there's like one point where on the bar. and like also these fucking like grabby disgusting men who are like always like pawing at these women that's the and, thing and then that- like at one point like Kevin comes, breaks the rule that, like, no boyfriends at the bar, and he sees, like, someone that they call a regular pawing at Piper Parabo's character, and she's like, come on, you're crazy, oh, and then she gets mad at him, like, I obviously you shouldn't have beat him up, but, like, she's like, oh, that's Zach, he's a regular, how could you? And it's like, he was literally, like, you kept saying no to him, and he, like, wouldn't get off you. He's grinding on you. And also, Lil, like, confronts her later, and Lil is, like, basically, Lil's, like, that's my best friend that I grew up with. That that <laughs> she, like, walks up to Piper. She's, like, character. that's my twin brother. <laughs> She's, like, that's the guy who gave me a kidney, ma. Like, I wouldn't be here without him. I'm still, I'm, it, it hasn't taken you him to- I may need another one. Exactly. And you know what? You let him touch whatever he wants on your body because he's done a lot for me. He's freaking like, O negative. <laughs> He's a universal donor. If okay, Castor Troy showed up here today, we'd all be screwed. <laughs> That's a throwback to last week's episode. Um, I know face you all off. listened. Of it's course. Face off. And we're proud if of you it. haven't listened, <laughs> then you're only getting half the story. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This is the diary of. Um... <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't say it because I know I didn't. I was supposed to say it. <laughs> Can you, you know can you just, no, can you just say it and then we'll cut it? I, I was, <laughs> cause I just want to know. I was just gonna say, this is the diary of Anne Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that and I wanted I knew you knew, I knew you knew, I knew you knew I was gonna say it and that's why I didn't say it because when you said, what were you gonna say? I looked at you and I thought, you know if anybody knows. Um, well, because it was the first thing that came to my mind, too. And I was like, I knew that's what you were thinking. And I wanted it on the record. <laughs> uh, God, no, I'm getting gaslit. Um, so, yeah. Not the best moment. Uh, but, but, yeah, so it's craziness. Also, so there's this moment 
in the movie where like things are getting like out of hand. There's a moment where all and it's weird because in this bar, these women who run this bar, they are so like rightfully like aggressive and like they are very like controlling for most of the movie when it comes to like their space and like these very like clearly drawn lines between them and the patrons. But like there's like these scenes where they need to show us like things getting awry. And so right. what that means is that they allow things to like they allow things to go crazy in this way that like Lil would never let them go crazy. So mm-hmm. it's like there's the scene in the movie where they want to show us like a moment where havoc is being wreaked on this bar. And like there's it's a group of like sailors and like <laughs> naval officers that are like out of control and they are like getting really rowdy. And they actually like start like grabbing at these bartenders that are like, you know, trying to do their jobs and Cammy, one of the bartenders, um, is pulled from the bar and they're like, there's like a group of sailors who are, I don't know, lightly assaulting her? Like, I, she's, there's nothing light about it. They're just like pawing at her and they're pulling her off at the her, bar. And she's in the middle of this group and she keeps saying like, help me, help me. And like, for some reason, I'm like, Bridget Moynihan's character of Rachel, first of all, I can't see her letting that happen. But no. then everybody's all over the place. Maria Bello's character, the cops are coming in and they're basically, I think, about to find her until she's like, shut down because it's way too many people in here. Like, comically overfilled with people. She's yeah. pushing these, these cops out of the bar, which also you would never do. But yeah. she's like, physically well, a white them. woman might do that. <laughs> that's true, and I don't know. I've never had big white energy before, so I don't know what that's like. But she's pushing them out. You know, she's using her caucasity to push them out of the bar. <laughs> and so then Piper sort of, like, steps into, and she's like, I've got a really mousy voice. Um, turn on Blondie. Uh, I'm going to do what I can to it. Uh, this was so funny. she starts giving us, you know, whatever your mumble fantasy is. Like, just imagine that and then dial it down by half. And she's like... <laughs> And she's just this, singing along to the jukebox. To, to Blondie, and these people are transfixed. <laughs> it, it solves the. It's it, as if peace. Whitney Houston has just walked into the bar and just started grabbed a mic and started giving you everything you've ever everything wanted. Everything you've ever wanted. Me, it would be. Uh, it'd be like uh, I don't know, probably like a twenty-four hour concert. Oh, um, yeah, exactly. Until I literally fall asleep from exhaustion. And then keep singing and you sleep. Oh, please. Right. Uh, but it's very much that. And everybody in the bar is just like, wait, what? She, what is she this magical cords? voice? Um, and then I also it's... read by the way that it was Leanne Rhymes at all the singing for Piper. In the she movie. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which means that they must have been, she must have been like instructed to just like barely coo into this microphone. It, exactly. Because Leanne Rhymes has the fucking pipes. Leanne Rhymes Leanne, is a great she, voice. She has the range. Um, she has a range. But it's so funny because it's like you're they're supposed to be in New York City where it's like rife with talented musicians and people. And like this like this like mousy person like who bit, has zero power behind her voice is like taming the whole bar. It is just the most unbelievable. Just like, <laughs> everybody's just watching her like perform and it like and they these sailors let let Cammy loose and she's alive. But my point in all of this is that like this, and there's like a big bar fight happening as well between patrons and everything. So all of this happens and like, she is able to like, sort of like change the temperature in the room. And 
it's really like this like moment that's defining for her. Lil sees it happening, and so Lil all of a sudden understands the value of her as like a bartender, but also as a musician and entertainment. And so all this happens. And then flash forward like twenty minutes into the movie, her boyfriend Kevin, played by Adam Garcia, comes to the bar. He sees her on the bar. Um, and he flips out and gets into a fight with a patron. And then she, like, fires her. And all I could think was, like, in that scene was, like, how is she not, like, being like, hold on, let's pause for a second. This bar, routinely out of control, I have, on multiple occasions, saved you from, like, the fire marshal and saved you from, like, being shut down, like, over and over again. And, like, that doesn't count for anything. There's nothing in the way of grace for me. She's just like, you're done. And she's like, I got some hard rules. And it's like, you didn't have rules for those sailors who were beating people up and, like, mauling one of the bartenders only a couple weeks ago. They weren't even thrown out of here, but you're going to fire me? After this incident that wasn't my fault, there's not even like a warning. It's just like it's, you there's no and there's no it's it's two things. One, Lil is holding um Violet responsible for the actions of a dude, which like yes. is annoying. And like as a, a woman business owner, like you take five seconds and think about that. Second of all, the rule that your boyfriend can't come to the bar is entirely unenforceable and ridiculous. You can't, there's nothing, nothing that Violet can do if her boyfriend, a private citizen, wants to walk into a public bar and like, start a fight why the hell would you fire someone who's done so much for you without a warning and i mean i'm sure like she's revitalized i mean she's revitalized business and she's helped restructure the model for the for the business now all of a sudden we've got songs happening she's it seems to be bringing in more money more patrons so it's like Uh just from a business perspective it's like the labor that went into that sort of like restructuring like should count for something and it counts for nothing it's also funny because like on the other side of things, it's really funny that her boyfriend, like, shows up at the bar and starts this fight. And it's like he's never been here before, even though we've seen I, him in her multiple times at this point. And he's, like, he has no understanding of, like, what it means to what work it, in an establishment like this. Exactly. And he's all of a sudden shocked by what's going on. And it's like, you were literally on the bar shirtless, writhing around, like, a couple scenes earlier with Caitlin Olsen <laughs> yelling out random amounts of money for you. So, like, yeah, Caitlin Olsen has a small but meaty part in this movie as well. Oh, one my of- God. I did. I didn't see her. I didn't clock she's her. She's the one. She's the one with the short hair that's flipped up. <gasps> and she's like in the scene that's like the two like there's the two yuppie businesswomen who are like but she's the other one who's competing with them and she's just screaming out amounts of money. It's so Are funny. you 100% sure? I'm 1000% sure. I'm like having trouble believing this. Really? Yeah. Um, Not that I like think you're wrong. I just need to see it. I just am like, I just watched this. How did I not bid in customer? Okay. I want like an Im- Oh my God, that is her. I can't believe it. That blew my mind. Then let's take a moment to talk about white women not believing black men. Um, <laughs> um, just so everybody's here for it. This is one of those teachable moments. Um, and that's on me. That's on me. That's, that's on me and that's on Karen. And I'll okay. take it. I'll take the L. The Karen of this podcast. Um, On that note. Yeah, we also get this, like, weird relationship between... I guess not weird, but it's this relationship between her and, like, her boyfriend, Kevin. Um, You couldn't care less about you, If you Uh, could call it that. If you could call it that. I don't know who he is. He's from Australia, I guess. But, like, 
and is maybe an orphan, but we don't really know. No, and he doesn't seem to know either. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> this whole thing with the two of them is nonsense. And also, there's like this moment early in the movie, well, we barely mentioned it. So Jessica Simpson, by the way, we like to move around. Jessica oh, Simpson right. was up for this part. <laughs> um, apparently, she apparently like pulled out of it because they wouldn't take the sex scene out. Which when And when I read that, I was like, what sex scene? And then they said most of it got pulled anyway. I was going to say, I didn't even really, think there was a sex scene. There barely was. And so it's, it's like funny they had sex, but like it was just, it, it was, it was like nothing. it just. Yeah, it was something. And I don't know what she saw in the original script that made her, you know, concerned about it. I don't know if she thought that it was going to be like this sort of like frontal nudity moment, but it was literally nothing. And even though it was literally nothing, Piper Parabo had a double, had a body double for the sex scene. So yeah. it's like, even But you more know, so. at this time, Jessica Simpson had a really squeaky clean image. Oh, no, I get it. And maybe just even the suggestion of it would have been like... Of her having sex, because to... she's like, you know... Um, she you came know, at it from that Christian promise ring, from that and, Christian angle, and the promise ring, and everything. And um, before her dad came out of the closet, and he was like a preacher, right? Oh yeah, that's right. Tell mm-hmm. the, you tell the story, tell the whole one. So, baby. it was as a soon lot as going you moved to yeah, as soon as you moved to Hollywood, everything becomes <laughs> crystal clear. Everybody comes to Hollywood, and it all changes. Mm. Living in the shadow. That's Marvin Ashley. Hollywood? I don't know. Hollywood. Hollywood. I don't know. I do know I that know. song, but I don't know but who I sings it. it. Being like a hit. Um, um, Dave, can you find that out, please? Because <laughs> it's gonna yeah. kill me. Yeah, I don't remember who it was. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's weird that that's the reason that she that she left the movie. And it's also, not weird because I mean, no, no, it I'm was, sorry. It's not it was weird. during Actually, that whole thing of sure. like no, you're right. Brittany, Christina, like Mandy Moore, that whole like purity moment where everyone was really like all, all of their day. What'd you say? They were all getting it in, though. Of course they? they were all getting it in. But while they, you know, affixed their promise rings and they were, you know, getting Although, it in. let's keep it real, though. My girl, out of that whole brood, Extina, she told them, sorry, I'm not a virgin, baby. Oh, yeah. Well, Extina was every, she was, she, she was, was everybody's the, favorite because she told it like it was. She told it like it was. And she was really, and they really tried to, like, drag her through the mud for it, too. Like, I know. She really, I mean, I know it's been justice for Brittany, and that's fine. And Christina Aguilar is a wealthy, you know, woman. And Everyone's argue, fine. And argue, well, Brittany is but, fine now. She was not yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But, like. But Christina, like, I just feel like she got really, like, she, the thing that I remember, too, that people didn't talk about was, like, I think nobody talks about how, like, she just got made out to, like, they talked about her so horribly during that yeah. time, too. Yeah, um, they were terrible. Cause she was terrible. Because she was one who was, like, I'm I'm doing what I'm doing. And, like, I don't know. need to make any promises to you. And also, why are you asking me about this? This has nothing to do with my music or my performance. Exactly. Where are my black um, extensions at? I need to clip exactly. them the show. Um, so where yeah. is my gallon of self tanner? Because I need oh, to. Oh, and, and if I can't find my eyeliner, I'm not leaving the dressing room, baby. <laughs> what do you if mean, I... Tara reads here? Get her out. There can only be one me tonight. <laughs> How dare you? Doesn't she need to? Doesn't she need it over at the the set of J C Chazé's blowing them up, blowing me up with her love? I loved that song it's and that video. Yeah, um, I really wanted more for JC, but that's a whole I did other too. podcast. Part of the problem was he let that hair get too long. Nobody was well, 
if that's what ended him, we are just a too fragile of a society. Also, you know we are. Also, <laughs> that know. album has a problematic title. His album is called Schizophrenic. And oh, I no. remember when he released it, he was like, it's because I'm into so many different types of music. And like, and it's like, no, that's so like many- a literal diagnosis. Like, you can't yeah, do that. This isn't, come on. God. The thing that I, the thing that I note more and more when we do episodes and we go back <laughs> and we look and we spend a lot of time in the early aughts is like, how, how unflinchingly problematic <laughs> the 90s and the aughts were. Like, there is so much stuff that it's just so like, much oh stuff. my God, like, have and you- I think the I think the hard thing to swallow about it too is like we expect that from like the eighties, the seventies, the sixties, sure. or whatever. But we expect, I think, with like the advent of the internet and people like whatever, it's like I think like we evolved so quickly from where we were in the year two thousand to where we are yes. now in terms of like inclusive language and yes. and and listening to communities that you're not a part of because we have a through line to that and you know all of the stuff that the internet brings so it's like going back that to something that doesn't feel that long ago with things that are so hugely problematic is jarring it is and things that we like loved i was thinking about this because it's already it's known to be a horrible show and i have scoured the internet for full episodes of it no avail (laughs) um but it was the show that was on fox called the swan Oh and, my god, I remember that joke. And I remember watching it and thinking like, this is great what they're doing. <laughs> and it's like little, re- little gay, I- little gay Brandon with like a pint of bluebell ice cream. <laughs> Just like watching these women live what I thought was their best lives in reality it was the beginning of like a Saw movie. Um, I actually, I remember my mother talking about how harmful that show was. It, it is it was awful. It was like mm-hmm. they would bring these women in. They would sit them down in front of a panel. These women were mostly from, if I remember correctly, a lot of them were from like the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And they would point out everything that was wrong with them. And Physically. then they would be like, yeah. And then they would be like, you're a candidate. We're going to we're gonna take you. And we're going to, we're going to chop you up, baby. And <laughs> we, promise to, we promise to put you back together. But we're going to put you through 40 surgeries in order to make you the ideal of beauty or as close to it as we can get you. And then we're going to place you in a pageant with a bunch of other women who've had similar chop jobs done on them. Oh my God, and there was a gonna, pageant? Yes. And then they I picked the winner. That. So it's like, so even after getting an entire like body and face surgery, you are then ultimately still <laughs> potentially going to be found wanting. So like only one winner. So it's like even after you've done all that work, it ends with we them letting you know that you still are not enough. Are it so is, fucked up. It's and I know that's why I can't find it because I know yeah. Fox. I think it was Fox, and I know how horrified like, they are. Bury it. it. <laughs> Bury it. But it's like I need. If you have access to copies of this, this is real niche. If you're listening to this podcast <laughs> and you know where I can find full episodes of The Swan, I don't support it, but I do want to see. But it. I want to um, see it. I I don't. I mean, it's horrible. And I remember at the time when that came out, my mom sort of being like, "This is one of the most disgusting things that I've ever like." Uh, we didn't watch the show. I think and like you were probably I made, like, "Oh, what a killjoy." <laughs> probably as come like mom whatever who cares i want to watch it and she's probably whatever like, mom where's my mp3 player <laughs> she's probably like you like we're not watching that um it but was a rough yeah ride, baby. it, it, it was sounds a rough ride. 
I, I, so I never got to see it, and I would love to see it just in order to be horrified by oh, it. Oh, no, it's I, horrifying. I've seen clips, like, I've seen, like, five-minute clips on YouTube, and they make me cringe. Yeah. Uh, but I keep looking. Um, well, so and I me. think listeners of this podcast understand that we like watching things that are really, really, really bad sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we watch Hoarders, and we live chat about it. So, like, <laughs> I guess you have to have we, <laughs> We are, um, we're the worst of the worst. And Jane loves, and Jane loves her intervention too. Um, I do. Although I'm finding myself less and less being able to watch intervention. Yeah. I, I don't, yeah, it's, it's all like, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, it's a lot. But, but yeah. So anyway, that's that. But, uh, the early aughts were a wild, wild ride. And like, there's a lot of, and this, and they kicked off with Coyote Ugly. Baby, baby. Um, and so also at the beginning of the movie, we get a really quick cameo from Ellen Cleghorn in this ridiculous role. Like, oh, that was the funniest part of this entire movie was, was Ellen Cleghorn's moment. And I had, did not remember that she was in this at all. I it's, mean, it's why like, would you? It's a blip. But it's the series. It's a it's a series um, of shots. Uh, it's like a montage of. <laughs> Violet going around to record companies with her uh, cassette tape with her original <laughs> songs on it um, and handing them out and trying to give them. The thing that's annoying me is that people won't even take them and like throw them in the trash when she leaves. Like everybody <laughs> and everybody who she goes up to gives her their version of a sob story, which just feels so obnoxious and inappropriate. Yeah. It's like you're at the a record company and you walk up to the reception <laughs> to be like, hi, like. I'm, you know, a new singer-songwriter in town. I have some songs. I'd love to get these, you know, heard by, like, one of the execs. And then the secretary's like, oh, would you? Well, here's my story. I moved here 15 years ago, got gout the first day. That's right, the King's disease. And after that, and after my struggle to get it lanced, I ended up, you know, getting my, I ended up getting my car jacked. And I got pregnant. So now I'm taking care of my bisexual daughter who hates me and hates cheese. And she's not even lactose intolerant. And it's like, what? Just take the damn tape. Just take like, the tape and throw it away. Also, it's so unrealistic, too, because it's, oh, it's, 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 it's characters. I Well, I've been a receptionist before, and if someone gives me something I don't want, I just take it and throw it away. We know you hit him with that right on top of that rose real quick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so on that note... Um, we're we're back at we're back at the movie. We've had our montage of people refusing to take her tapes. Also, her best friend who drops her off in the city gives her a wad of cash, which is like, why? Like, like, why, why does she need this any more than you do, girl? Like, and also, also nobody's aren't they the same age? And also, we should give way to the fact that it is Melanie Linsky, um, incredible actor who was also in But I'm a Cheerleader and in many, many, many other movies. Oh, yeah, and she. Is is famously a person from New Zealand, but is putting on a very thick New Jersey accent. I thought it was, um, I actually for a second thought it was, how do I get her name wrong? I thought it was Sarah Rue. Is that her name? That is her name. Yeah. It's not Sarah Rue. It, but I, I do think that they sort of like have a similar look. They, they favor vibe. each other a little bit. Yeah. But Melanie Linsky, I love her. She's just an icon to me. She was in and out real quick, but she, she, you mm-hmm. know, she played a role. I'm sure there was 15 scenes that ended up on the cutting room floor. She probably thought, you know, me too. And I'm sure she made a ton of money for it. And she was like, great. Perfect. But yeah. Also, this movie was made for $45 million, which is a really big budget, actually, for what this movie was. Right. Um, it's not like million. It's probably for like Tyra. <laughs> like, yeah. And it made $113 million at the box office. So this was a hit. Um, 
And Tyra apparently has been trying to trying to get that sequel made. <laughs> I read that. <laughs> to, that to, like, no to this day, Tyra is like still trying to get a sequel made. What like, are we doing at why? this point? And also, also, like, what? How would you be involved, Tyra? Because like well, your character well, had she, didn't three she just do lines. a sequel to Life Size without blinking an eye? Um, so also the other thing about this movie that was really funny is like so we mentioned earlier Lil fires her and then she gets this job at this other uh, restaurant waitressing and then Lil shows up and Lil says to her yeah Lil like apologizes for you know flying off the handle and firing her and then she says like well you know you never struck me as a lifer anyway and it's like nobody there is a lifer everybody who works for you is 25 years old what are you talking about exactly one I didn't see, one, so I didn't see one woman even over the age of 30 at this establishment so I don't know what this lifer myth is that you are perpetuating, but I feel like this is a job for, like, a woman who's young and spry enough to jump on a bar and, like, willing and, like, to put up with this And, like, do sexy dances and have pour beer down her shirt. This isn't, like... it. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lifer is a strange thing. I also thought it was totally unrealistic that Lil would go visit her. Because I'm like, there are probably so many people... This is Manhattan. There are so many people who could fill her role, like at this bar. But and like, Lil realized how special she was, though. You know. But like that would and that would have been. I would love for Lil to like put like spell out what was so special about Violet. She had the voice. She had the spunk. She had ingenuity, and she had gumption. She was willing to go out there and break up fights, get on the floor. Um, you know, she helped re- Lil realize that this place could be a lot more than she thought it could. You know? But, okay, that was not, I didn't get that. No, I didn't get that either, <laughs> but I'm just saying. I Lil would love to get that in the script that would have been one a way or another. For, that would have been another moment for Moynihan, for the two of them to be wiping up, like, at the end of a night, and, like, you know, her to be like, yeah, you know, be, be, feels weird doing it without Jersey around. Um, and so this whole thing happens, and then Kevin, this guy who's been trying to make it happen with her since the beginning of the movie, shows up, and she puts him to work. She makes him, she puts him on the auction block, and she's a bunch of women who are here, all of these like single women who are in like, who are in like business clothing to let you know that they have sacrificed, you know, their love life for, you know, that career that business that 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 pie in the sky mm-hmm. um and they're all here in like their workwear and they are they're bidding they are bidding hard and they want him and everybody's frothing at the mouth for this random regular looking guy even though we're in a bar <laughs> full of regular looking dudes and, and he like takes like, off his shirt and his belt and like he's and like, all like all ah, into it and the money's going higher and higher and she needs 250 dollars and somebody yells out finally 250 and then she goes sold and it's like first of all we keep it going until i know i thought the same thing stop at 250 girl you could have ended right. up with enough money to like get your hair done and you know <laughs> go get a fish sandwich or something um but a fish sandwich. you don't like a fish sandwich i do i'm just saying exactly. like, what are... so so then enough <laughs> so she so they so he gets the highest bidder he gets he gets sold for 250 and then he comes back after and he's like telling her about this woman who by the way was the same age as everybody else and he's like 25 and he's like she's she's this divorced mother of three adult children this woman was it's maybe like, 27 years old when did she um, start having kids like exactly the age jane did so um oh. <laughs> And I'm, so, I'm sorry, that was a, that was I shouldn't have made that joke. Mm. Uh, are you going to see him again one day, sis? Once I get my shit together, I am all theirs. You need to stop hanging out with Julia Lewis. <laughs> she 
keeps you. She keeps you caught up. Why in that Juliette game. Lewis? I just feel like Juliette Lewis would be a chaotic person to hang out with. <laughs> like I feel like I would get caught up in some crazy stuff hanging out with Juliette. Me too. Lewis. I feel like I feel like she, I, I feel like she could convince me of some shit. I think Juliette Lewis could convince me to get. Yeah, she just make stuff. everything sound super fun, and you'd be like, yes. "Oh my god, of course, let's do it!" And then all of a sudden, you're like, "Why am I in the fucking clink?" And you're like, no, "Juliette, you're like, oh my god, how did how did you get me to drink ayahuasca in the middle of like the desert?" And like, who is the shaman? Uh, and it's just like, "Come on, it's gonna be fun!" I told you what, and then I'm all of a sudden having natural born killers flashbacks. I'm like, I uh, so I feel like it would be very that um, with Juliette Lewis, but I would, yeah, I would need somebody there to be like, Hey, I think we're good. Like I would love for Drew Barrymore to maybe be there too, as like, uh, a person who understands both worlds. She would bring like, comfort hey, to me. I think he's yeah. good. I think he yeah. has enough. She would be anymore. a balance between you, which is what I think Juliette Lewis needs for sure. Ooh, Dave said she would get you into Scientology. Is Juliette Lewis a Scientologist? <gasps> no. No. David? Is she really? Oh, unless oh my she God! Left. Really? Can you can you verify, Dave? Can you verify? Because I hold on, hold on. I minute. can't Google, live in this world. Hey, Google, call Leah Remini. <laughs> and Mark Ren. What is the? Oh, who's the guy she works with? You know, I don't know. Only oh, only God. people I know are Leah Remini and whoever the lighting designer is who <laughs> puts that that grease all over that camera lens. I because love what she. I love that like that cameras on her. I forget what it's called. It's an Annie show, and she's like, f- just like finding ex Scientologists and let I like giving them a platform to speak. It's a great show, and she Renfield, my Mark Renfield, Mike Renfield is like her co-host who used to be like really high up in um, the Scientology world, and uh, frankly has no idea where Shelley Miscavige is, and I want answers. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you and you and everybody else. I'm sure David wants to know too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I also we were just talking about craziness. Uh, I'm really obsessed with this Instagram account. Oh, she is and has. Oh my goodness, she <gasps> is and has been since, since the 1990s. Okay, what that's the other sister is going on. Um, <sighs> so I was gonna say. So Juliette Lewis is a Scientologist. All right. Well, I, I think that. we would not be hanging out then because I yeah, would be terrified. Anyone like me? Yeah, exactly. I don't want to be like. I'm sure they find me to be a suppressive person real quick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if I'm not already. Uh, right. Uh, so yeah. So I guess we. There goes another dream of hanging out in the desert with Juliette Lewis. I think we're gonna <laughs> put it on pause at least for now. Um, hey Alexa, play "Coming Clean" by Hilary Duff. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so we've got we've got a lot of like wild madness happening in this movie we get him sort of going the woman pays 250 dollars from and then they leave he, she drags him out of there and then he shows up at the end of the night and he tells her about how she's like this divorcee and i said to dave there's no way he didn't have sex with that woman and dave said no and i said absolutely she paid 250 dollars for him they had sex in the back of the car no. Like, no, I'm a, like, I'm on team no, Dave. They smashed. Absolutely. Not in this whitewashed, clean ass version of this movie. No, there's no. I mean, they didn't show us that, but I'm talking about you know the scenes that stuff happens off camera, and you can't convince. I don't me think. That I don't think. Like... I don't think the two dimensional character of Kevin would do that. <laughs> oh God. Well, I'm sure. Well, he probably. You know, once that D came out, that's the third D. So, it's a 3D movie all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, that was so, a stretch, but I'll give it to you. That's a 
but yeah, so that so then yeah, that's like the beginning of like their their messy love story. And then of course the thing that we haven't discussed yet, uh, the elephant in the room, um, or should I say the top model in the room. Tyra Banks. Tyra um, Banks. We've she, mentioned her. We've mentioned her very briefly. Very Tyra briefly. Banks um, in this movie is Zoe. and um, So funny. Didn't even know her name. I'm I'm holding my breath. Yep, Zoe, I got it right. I, I think that's right. I was like, I was like, oh no. Um, yeah, her name no, you're Zoe. right. Um, she's in this movie for a blip. John mm-hmm. Goodman's in this movie longer than her. She yeah. is like... There's well, a... actually, something I read about John Goodman is that the when they were t- testing the movie, they wanted more of him, so then they added more oh, scenes God. of him. He got that phone call, probably. I know. He was on the set of, I'm sure, Roseanne. No, that was over in, like, 97, <laughs> that, so... Yeah. I don't know. I'm just at home chilling. And he was like, <laughs> oh, God, I agreed to come back if they needed me. Here we go. <laughs> um, so, so they... Yeah, so Tyra Banks is like the first scene of this movie where we see her... We have uh, we have our Violet character. She moved into this ratty apartment in New York. It gets robbed really quickly, and it's like the way in which it's robbed. When she walks up to the door, everything is on the floor. It's like the kind of robbery that happens at the beginning of an investigation discovery, where you find out <laughs> later that the person who did it is like the ex girlfriend. Exactly. Like, where she's too vindictive, much. like she's trying to do something. It's well, like there's it's literal just stage, trash all over the floor. It's when people and try and stage a robbery exactly. in the dateline. And you're like, you did too much. Like, that's exactly. like this, isn't what ro- this isn't the path that robbers take. Like, they're no. literally the person went into like the refrigerator and poured out every item in the refrigerator onto the kitchen floor. There's like, like chocolate, chocolate all syrup all over the living room. It's like yeah, people don't. The... People who rob, who randomly rob apartments, are literally only looking for valuables, and they're getting in, in and out as quickly as possible. They make. A mess because they're looking fast, but they're not like pouring trash all over the floor and like really being like. No, it's because it's unneeded exertion of effort. Exactly, and it's being at the crime scene for longer than you need to be, and it's your finger more fingerprints than need to be. It's there's a lot of reasons why we aren't just like spending a lot of time in the kitchen, like pulling pots and pans out and throwing them on the floor. So <laughs> right? it's too much, first of all. But then she goes downstairs, and she's a pretty white girl, so the guy gives her a free piece of pie at the local diner, and then we have I the same thing. I was like, I don't think people in New York. Or just giving away free pieces of pie to to some sad no, white girl who's had a bad day. A piece of pie after, but um. <laughs> so we've got the three girls are that Cammie, we know Rachel. of exactly. We've got Cammy, Rachel, and Zoe, um, and the three of them are coming. You know, they're here after a night of rocking out over at Coyote Ugly, and Tyra <laughs> Banks is definitely like she's a captain of this ship. Um, she does her version of sexy dancing. They turn up <laughs> the music really loud, uh, and Violet's really taken with them. And she's watching. Well, them she and asks if they're hookers. Yeah, she. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Yeah, because they're flashing around cash, they're like counting money, flashing around cash, and like doing sexy dance dances. And she's like, "Are they hookers?" And he's like, "Coyotes." And like randomly has like the matchbook for Coyote Ugly in, yeah, his, in his like in his like shirt pocket, yeah, breast pocket. He also he says he says they're here every morning, winding down have to in their line of work and then which you know kind of leads her to what she says and then she says are they hookers and he says no 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 coyotes um and then just in time you know we get to see tyra banks writhing well and it's so funny that they're there every morning and then this is and she eventually becomes a coyote but this is the first and the last time we ever see her in this diner <laughs> yeah and also also, she says, like, also we find out that Zoe, Tyra's character, is getting ready to go to law school. So, like, mm. that's why she's, like, you know, it's her last hurrah. Um, 
and they're getting it in and our, our, our Rachel is just uh, she's transfixed on what's on what's going on um, in this really weird way. Also, earlier in the movie, when she first meets this Kevin guy, she's mistaken by a bartender. She goes to this club. Um, a bartender sort of points her in the direction of Kevin and says that he's the manager. So then mm-hmm. afterwards, she waits outside of the club. Kevin comes out and then she she tries to hand him her her tape of her um, her single. And Kevin's sort of like, he just plays the role. It's a pretty girl talking to him, so he goes with it. Then the boss, the actual boss of the establishment, pops his head out and yells at uh, Kevin and reveals that he's a line cook. And then she's like, I just I just made a complete fool of myself. And I was like, you didn't really. You just had like a mistake. There was just a mistake in identities. And you had a 30-second conversation with a stranger. That's it. And also the person who made a complete fool of himself is, is him. Kevin. Because it shows you what kind of fucking dude Kevin is, which is like he will lie to a woman about who he is in order to like bed her. And it's like... I, this is like our first impression of her boyfriend throughout the movie, and I was like, "This guy's a fucking dick, man." But I did love, I just love that line because it was, it felt so <laughs> hyperbolic in this particular moment, and it was just like, "You just, you made a mistake, and he he lied to you, so like it's fine." Yeah, like, <laughs> and like, why are you taking that on? And yeah. then like the, all the line, there's so many lines throughout this movie that are like they really want to like you can tell like they wanted to be like iconic and significant and they're so stupid like well also i just made a fool of myself would have been something that was appropriate for you to say after you mumble through that blondie song on the top of that bar absolutely then it would have that, been like yeah that would have been this. and it's like it's i mean <laughs> it's but the response she gets to absolutely just not, inflates her ego for sure because it's like she should have been like, oh, that was weird. I just sang along to a Blondie song. And what should have happened is that no one listened to you because you were whispering. And <laughs> there was and a weird. fight breaking out at the bar. But instead, you, like, caused world peace in this microcosm. Well, you, you interact with the audience. There's also this <laughs> moment after this first interaction where she, quote, unquote, made a fool of herself, where she's walking away and he's following her. And then she says, uh, you like stops, you know, she says something along the lines of like the, this weird guy following me has been staring at my ass for 20 minutes. And then he says, uh, well, I'm going to stop you right there. It was only the first 15. And I thought, have you been following her for 20 minutes through the streets of New York at two? It was actually or? 30 minutes. It was 30 minutes. I thought so. Mm-hmm. It was 30 minutes. And it's like, yeah, that, that is, that is well, this is him just following her, trying to get her to stop so he can explain himself. 30 minutes. That is... is... Not, and she looks over her shoulder with this, like, cute sort of, like, smirk. And it's like, there's nothing playful or fun about this. Like, at this point, I'm winded. And, like, I am trying to evade capture. At this point, like, I am going to walk into, like, my local precinct because I'm so scared for my life. If anybody follows me for more than a block, I am literally panicked. And let me tell you, that has absolutely happened to me before. And it is terrifying. And I apologized. And... And that's the thing about it, Jane. I thought that you liked... I thought you liked the whole peekaboo thing. And I... No, I didn't. <laughs> and I also... It was really scary. Spice up this relationship. <laughs> it was really... And, and you understand why I called law enforcement, which I try not to ever do. But... Um, when you came up behind me and grabbed me by the throat and said, here's Johnny, I felt like I was in a bad situation. 
When you called law enforcement and said, local wily urban youth has been following <laughs> me around the neighborhood, I thought... It's funny oh, that you think I referred to... It, it's it's funny you, that you... Stepped on my joke right there. <laughs> uh, and also roasted myself um, in the process. I was like, haha, I know. The most implausible one was young. Oh, uh, uh, God. Uh, oh, but yeah. Um, but in the end, her dream comes true of being... Yeah, singer-songwriter. Ella, I guess I think they were trying to give us like a Carol King sort of vibe of like a woman who is like very a formidable talent in her own right, but like also has the ability to write. I'm giving her so much. You're giving her so much. I can't believe Um, you said I. But like I understand where you're going with, but I was like, whoa. (laughs) It was. It really was a lot. Right after I said it, I immediately regretted it. But like I think. But I understand what you mean. That type. of of a that type of a career also when i first met dave one of the reasons why i almost ended it with him was because i told him that i was a huge carol king james taylor fan and he was like "Ugh," and it was like <laughs> why and he was like they just seem so like self-satisfied when you see them perform <laughs> and- <laughs> that's like that's actually such a funny observation and don't get wrong i love both of those people a ton and love so much of their music but that's like not not wrong <laughs> no it wasn't and then i saw a live performance of the two of them doing like mockingbird and i was like oh yeah I get but i still love them and i stand by it of course of course but that's a really hilarious observation <laughs> anyway, so yeah so we finally get our lead rhymes moment she pops up and yeah, at the end of the bar, or the end of the movie, she's at the dancing on the bar, Coyote Ugly, I guess. Who Do you isn't think... at the end of this movie? Oh, fucking everybody. I know, I wrote that. I was like, well, how is everyone at this bar at the same time? And, like, what is this for? And how did she get such an incredible deal after performing one song at the Bowery Ballroom? <laughs> like, literally, she says, she says, movie. I only have one song and I'm only performing one song and then cut to her being her realizing her dreams, which they say at the end of the movie, like, how does it feel to realize your dreams or have all your dreams come true? And I'm like, from one performing one song in New York City, you now have this life. It's a little unbelievable. Um, and we're being sold a false, uh, a, a false narrative. But you know what? That's Hollywood, baby. <laughs> it is. Uh... It's a wild one. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was an adventure. And uh, I guess at the end of it, you know, there's, I'll say that it's a beautiful ending for Coyote mm. Ugly. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, oh, bad. by the way, for those of you who want to know what Coyote Ugly means, if you don't already know, I feel like we should have mentioned this in the Let episode. Know, it means someone who like it's after a one night stand you wake up and the person next to you is so unattractive that you would rather chew chew off or gnaw off your arm so that you can leave the bed instead of wake them up it's that is what coyote ugly means i guess and it's because coyotes famously like if one of their legs is caught in a trap they will literally gnaw off their like foot to get away to get out of the trap right them them and james franco 
Absolutely, 127 mm-hmm. hours, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're working on that sequel, 128, which we'll see. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so that's it. And the and the joke is that these women are so breathtakingly beautiful that they're like right. the opposite of ugly. They're so. the opposite of coyote ugly. So how, so. So how funny. Um, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. irony, folks, or maybe not. I don't know. I learned what irony meant from Alanis Morissette, and I'm still muddled. We it's all still did. muddled. She really screwed us all over with that one. Anyways, Bran, I'll ask you this: <laughs> Would you watch this movie again, Mama? Um, <laughs> I'm actually thinking about it. Yeah, uh, I don't think so. I think it's like I'm watching. It's like a fun like easy movie it's less than two hours which i love and it's totally palatable i i don't get like bored watching it because i think it's like it's so ridiculous but i understand why you wouldn't want to watch it again but i think i think it's worth watching just because it's funny and totally impossible yeah 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 yeah. i I guess then the next question for you is what do you got for me next week bubba (laughs) You know what? What? I'm going to do something I haven't done in a while. Whoa. <laughs> I'm, gonna I'm scared. You, I'm going to give you a choice between two films. <gasps> oh, we haven't done this in a very long time. Okay. Okay. I'm nervous. Very different films. Okay. Okay. I'm going to let you choose between two movies. I'm okay. Do you, same... do you think you know which one I'm going to choose? Um, I do. Okay. All right. Give me actually, the, actually, the... no, I don't. I have no idea. Okay. They're both the two movies, both from 1992. Mm-hmm. We have Class Act. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's a movie starring Kid and Play. Do I know what that movie is? Okay, no, I don't. Do you know who okay. Kid and Play are? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we have Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Ooh, I don't know what that one is either. You don't know what that is? Stop or my mom will shoot? No. I've never heard of either of these movies. Wow. Okay. Maybe Man, I have. Were, I'm no. just... Then you are ill-equipped to make this decision. So okay. I'm going to make it for you. We are going to... I wanted you Stop or my mom will shoot. Because the title intrigues me. Choose it. Then we are going to do Stop or my mom will shoot. Yay! <laughs> okay. Okay. So we're going to do Stop or I'm my mom will shoot. So curious about what that one is. Okay, there we go. We got it. We got a movie pick for next week. We got it going, and you keep class act in your pocket oh, because I, I have no idea what that is. I so. won't. Don't look it up either. Awesome. I won't. I. I I'll, it, it. The title will leave my brain as soon as we stop recording. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thank you, Brandon, for talking about Coyote Ugly with me. And thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thank, thank you for bringing your. Um, you know, your point of view on all of this is always very valuable to me. And um, thank you guys for listening. We love you. And if you want to continue to chat with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Movies We Missed. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can find us at MWM Chat. And uh, we will be sure to see you next week for Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Bye. Can't fight the good by no. Can't fight it. He's gone. Okay. He's gonna give his salutations.
Oh, okay. Well, you went a different direction. Oh my god, I realized what we didn't talk about. I what? can't believe we didn't talk about it. We didn't <gasps> talk about her singing on the balcony and then the guy across. <gasps> oh the, my god, uh, I have that whole thing of it. Across from her and her singing on the balcony. And then all of a sudden that hip hop music starting and this man just like shadow boxing and <laughs> dancing around his apartment, bebopping. And then her being like, ooh, ooh. rhythm. I've got it. And it's like, there is nothing. There, There's nothing like in the final product of any of these songs. I can't even remember which song it is. There's no. nothing like hip hop adjacent. <laughs> no. It is but like, she's like, she's like, am I going to commodify this, this culture? Will this be beneficial to me? It's like, what in the bangers is going on? <laughs> okay. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Right after I said it, I immediately regretted it.